three of the kids are dismissed. That is grades K through five. I think they already left, but if there are any left, you can be dismissed at this time. Grades K through five. Exodus chapter number 19. Beginning with verse number one. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And when Moses told the words of, of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. From the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. And whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. The Lord said to Moses, go down. And warned the people lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, 
for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. The Lord said to him, go down and come up, bring an Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people come through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are now beginning a new section in our journey through Exodus. In Exodus chapter 1 through 17, we saw God's mighty deliverance of Israel from the oppression and slavery of Egypt and Pharaoh. Now that God has brought his people out of Egypt, the rest of Exodus is about how Israel can have a right relationship with their king. And the way that God administers and manages that relationship with his people is through a covenant. In order to understand the rest of Exodus, we have to understand covenant. Covenant. Here in Exodus chapter 19, we have the beginning of the Mosaic covenant. A covenant in the ancient Near East had a structure to it. First, there was the preamble, the introduction. And that's what we see in verse number three. The Lord called him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. The Lord is the one speaking and he addresses those to whom or identifies those to whom he is speaking. That's the preamble. Next in the covenant, there would be what is called the historical prologue. There is a historical situation that is the foundation of this covenant. There is a an historical situation which is the grounds and motivation for everything that is to be said after this. And that's what we see in verse number four. The Lord says, in verse number four, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on Ingo's wings and brought you to myself. That's the historical prologue. And then after the preamble and this historical prologue, there would be stipulations. In other words, the king, God here, the Lord, saying here are the stipulations of this relationship between one another. And as you obey these stipulations, you will find joy because there will be blessings. And then finally, in the covenant, there will be the acceptance by the people. And so this is the beginning of the covenant between God and this people called Israel. 
So now, let's go back now and talk through this. First of all, in verses 1 through 8, I want us to look at a sovereign possession. A sovereign possession, verses number 1 through 8. Remember, we said part of the covenant is the historical prologue. And so what we see, first of all, in this sovereign possession is God reminds them of their past salvation. The past salvation. The heart of this section is verses 4 through 6. Moses has ascended up to the mountain, and the Lord speaks to him, beginning in verse number 4. And the Lord says to Moses, what I want you to tell the people is this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. What the Lord is about to say and demand and expect of Israel is grounded in what he has already done for them in the past. He reminds them of his mighty acts against the Egyptians and how he was the one who brought Israel to himself. The Lord reminds them that it was the Lord who demonstrated his power and supremacy over the Egyptian gods. It was the Lord who destroyed the Egyptians in all of their military might by drowning them in the Red Sea. It was the Lord who guided Israel and guarded them out of Egypt. It was the Lord who bore them on eagles' wings. He protected them. He guided them out of Egypt. It was the Lord who brought Israel to himself. Notice, friends, that before the Lord makes any demands of the people, he starts with what he's done for them. Their deliverance and their salvation had nothing to do with their own performance or effort. It was not by their power nor by their might. It was all the work of the Lord. So friends, even in the Old Testament, hear me now, God's people have always been saved, have always been saved by grace through faith. They they were not saved by the law. They were not saved by works. They were saved by grace. It was because God set his love on the people of Israel that they were saved. So this was, this is, this, this, what we see is not necessarily the first, we don't see first a covenant of law. We see a covenant of grace. Now, Because of his gracious saving act, he now calls for a response from Israel. Friends, covenant is all about relationship. Covenant is an oath-bound relationship between two or more parties. A covenant is an oath-bound relationship between two or more parties. In that covenant, the relationship is established, and that's what God has done. He's like, I already saved you. So we have a relationship, but with relationship comes responsibility. Verse 5. 
Here's the responsibility. Now, therefore, if you will indeed, here it is, obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. So we see the, the past salvation, but now we're going to see the provision stated. Here's the provision of the covenant. The Lord expects obedience and loyalty. Notice the call to obedience follows salvation. Friends, this is important that we understand. Deliverance precedes duties. Belief precedes behavior. Obedience is the surrendered response of a grateful heart. Ms. Veronica, I'm going to rewind and press play. Obedience is the surrendered response of a grateful heart. Now that they have been saved by the Lord, they are to be totally committed to the Lord. Let me see if I can use some different words there. Commitment, loyalty. Here's one. Allegiance. I think that's what we need to bring that word into our Christian living. Allegiance. And I think if we thought about our relationship with God as allegiance to our almighty king, then we would come to see sin not just as crimes, which they are, but we would come to see sin as treason. I'll preach some more about that next week. Come back, it's going to be good. So God says the provision of this relationship, your responsibility is all out allegiance, loyalty, commitment, demonstrated through obedience. And he says, as you do this, you're now going to have a privileged status. He says, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. If you write in your Bibles, highlight your Bibles, or in your app, this is a verse. This is crucial. He says, First of all, he says, you will be my treasured possession. Friends, to understand this, we must understand that in the ancient Near East, Near East excuse me, kings would have a private vault of riches and possessions. These possessions were unique and exclusive. Though everything in the kingdom belonged to the king, he would, there were some things that, that were his in a special way. So then Israel is royal property. They are the Lord's exclusive possession. They belong to him and him alone. 
They are his treasured possession. Not only are they to be his treasured possession, but they are to be a kingdom of priests. Look at that. Kingdom. Friends, for there to be a kingdom, there must be a king. Therefore, the Lord is establishing his kingship, his reign, and his rule over Israel. But for there to be a kingdom, not only must there be a king, there must also be a people. The Lord is establishing, establishing Israel as its own people, as its own nation. The covenant constitutes this new people as a formal nation. They are now officially become a nation under the Lord's reign. Yahweh is king. And as I said earlier, their duty is to be loyal to their king for what he has done for them, delivering them from the oppressive reign of the king of Egypt. But why a kingdom of priests? We must understand that the role of the priest was to be a mediator. The role of the priest was to be a go-between. The role of the priest was to was to represent God before the people and the people before God. The role of the priest was to dispense and proclaim God's truth, justice, favor, discipline, and holiness to humans. In like manner, Israel's role now as a kingdom of priests were to be witnesses in word and deed to the world and call nations to turn to the Lord. And so as a kingdom of priests, they were to be a missionary people. Their job as a kingdom of priests was to spread and make known the Lord. Israel was to be the mediator between God and the nations. Israel was to be the means by which all nations would come to know the Lord. A treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, but they would also be a holy nation, set apart, distinct, unlike the other nations, separated from the world for worship and service of the Most High God. So Moses descends from the mountain and proclaims the word of the Lord to the people. And verse 8 says, All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So the people agreed to be in covenant with the Lord. They say yes to their king. What are the implications of this passage for the church today? The Apostle Peter answers this question for us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Here's what he writes to the church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him 
who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter uses the language from our text to speak to the church. He says, church, you are now the chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Friends, this is who we are. This is our identity. We are a chosen race. The, the, the fact that we are chosen means that this is an intentional choice on God's part. This was not haphazard. This was not accidental. God intentionally chose you to be a recipient of his love, grace, and mercy. Not only are we chosen, but we are royalty. We are valuable. We are children of the most high king. We are Holy as well. Because of Christ, we are holy. This is our identity. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are made holy because of Jesus Christ. We don't have to work to become holy. We are God's special possession. Friends, this is our identity. We are God's treasure. We are his crown jewel. That's who you are. That's what you need to root your identity in. Not being a mother, a father, a wife, a husband, an architect and an accountant, a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher homemaker, whatever it may be. That is not what we root our identity in. Our identity is in who the Lord says we are. Your identity is not in, who the, in, in what the world says is beautiful. If you need a self-esteem, with, oh, oh, let me, I, like, I don't like that word. Let, if you need a self-worth boost today, here it is, you are chosen. You are royal. You are treasured. But, 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 but for what? This is who we are, but for what purpose? The answer is twofold. Still in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, this is who you are, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. And into his marvelous light. We are God's special people in order that we might proclaim the gospel of God. When we proclaim the gospel, just like in Exodus, we talk about what the Lord has done for us in the past. We tell people when we proclaim the gospel that, 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 that what the Lord has done in providing the way to salvation through Jesus Christ who died for our sins, was buried and rose on the third day. That's the historical setting for the new covenant. What God has done through Jesus Christ. 
In our proclamation, we call for people to respond by submitting to God's rule, by surrendering their lives by faith to Christ and Christ alone. So, friends, the first purpose of this privileged status is evangelism, mission. Not only is there an evangelistic purpose behind our privileged status, but there's also an ethical purpose. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, the apostle Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our responsibility is because we are holy, is to live holy. We are to keep our conduct honorable. That's what the chosen race royal priesthood does. Our behavior should validate our belief. And as we live holy lives, church, the unbelieving, watching world will see our good deeds and glorify the Lord. I have much more to say, but the worship team sang too long. <laughs> we must always remember our past salvation. And because of what the Lord has done for us, he now calls for total allegiance to him. He is the Lord, master, ruler, and we owe him our loyalty, our obedience. Because of what he has done in the past, we are forgetful people. And so the Lord gave us a way to remember what he has done for us in the past. It's a meal that we are to share together. 